we began our summer series, I asked for people to recite Hebrews 6, 19 through 20. I knew that we'd have gaps in the series. Actually, I planned that we'd have more gaps than we've had. This actually will be my only gap week. So this is what I want us to do. I want to ask us to recite it together. Okay? So say it with me. Hebrews 6, 19 through 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You're between the ages of four to the second grade, you're excused to kids' club. What is your protection? What keeps you safe? That has been one of the great underlying questions as we've walked through this series called My Anchor Holds. When a storm picks up, when the boat starts to rock, what is your security? Because as we've walked through this series, and by the way, we only have one week left. We'll be in Psalm 102 next week. We've watched David, we've watched Solomon, we've watched Heman, and many others walk through trials of many different kinds. And the hope as we've walked through this series is to start to give you lots of little pictures of what it looks like to find your anchor in the Lord. What does it look like practically when life is really hard, when it's challenging, when your friends turn on you, or when you lose your job? What does it look like when you walk through these hardships? As we've looked at these different characters, we find that they are finding their anchor in the Lord. So that's why we keep pushing us back. And this morning will be no different. This morning we're in Psalm 91. By the way, if you've not sung on eagle's wings, that's that song comes from Psalm 91. It is actually that psalm sung. I sang it as a kid in the Catholic Church, wanted to sing it this morning. Um, so that was that song. And we'll... This morning we're going to be in Psalm 91, so turn there. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The first line of this psalm is rich. In fact, it's exceptionally rich. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. The natural question that should come to you is who's he talking about? To whom is the psalmist referring to? Who is it that dwells in the shelter of the Most High? Well, as we've walked through this series in Psalms, we've seen several images and several metaphors. And here this imagery is of shelter. And it's similar to the imagery we've seen in Refuge and a couple of other places. And it points to the idea of finding safety, finding security. But more than that, in this section, it means to be safe, like you're at home. That's why the author uses the word dwell. He's giving you a picture of a person who is dwelling, who is comfortable. They're at home, they're safe. And they're in the shelter of the Most High. So it's not just 
any shelter. This most high is another way of saying that this is God because it's referring to the sovereign ruler of everything. Text says that he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide. Worth noting, it's not a conditional statement. It's not predicated on anything. This will happen. They will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. So you start to see that the one who dwells in the shelter abides in the shadow of the Almighty, and that points again to God. This time the omnipotent one, the one with all power, the one who can do absolutely anything. And so we see the promise. If you dwell with him, you will abide in his shadow. Or more plainly, if you make your home in the Lord, you'll be absolutely perfectly safe. Why? Because the sovereign ruler of everything also has all the power in the universe. And that is quite a promise. That's quite a rich promise. And so it is to this that the psalmist then proclaims in verse 2, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The psalmist, by the way, some think it was David, some think it was Moses, nobody knows, the text doesn't tell us. The psalmist looks at this great promise and says, I'm taking that. I'm in. He states the promise of the Lord and now he wants to walk in it. He wants to dwell and abide in the Lord. Stating, God, you are my refuge, my fortress, I trust in you. Now friends, if you're familiar with the New Testament, the latter part of your Bible, you would know that this language of dwelling is used in the New Testament as well. Paul speaks of it in Ephesians 3 in his prayer for the Ephesian church. This is what Paul writes again in Ephesians 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of His glory, He might grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, listen to it, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know that the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, I give you all of those verses because in Greek it's one sentence and you can't break it up. But what Paul is praying for here in Ephesians is that the power of the Holy Spirit would be at work in you so that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith, And that through that, you would come to comprehend, you'd come to understand how much Jesus Christ loves you. And that Christ dwelling in you would empower you to do that. So there's a distinction to be made here. Because what we find in Psalm 91 is that you dwell in Him. But in the New Testament, no longer are you called to seek Him out to dwell in Him. No, in the New Testament, He now dwells in you. 
He dwells in you. Not through works, not through your accomplishments, not through your right seeking Him, but through faith according to the text. And faith is believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, that on the cross He literally takes on your sin, that your sin is imputed into Him. That's the theological term. You've given it over to Him. And that in exchange for your sins, His righteousness is imputed into you. That's quite an exchange. You give Him sin, you get righteousness. That's a picture of faith. It's, it's to believe that your sin problem has been taken care of by Jesus. It's to be redeemed by Jesus, to be justified by His work. And then having believed in Him, that He would now dwell in your heart through faith, according to Ephesians 3. Such that when we come back to Psalm 91, it's not you who are called to dwell in Him. It's not going to be a work you're going to have to accomplish. See, there's a difference between an old covenant and a new covenant reality that we're going to have to deal with in this text. Because in the New Testament, if you've believed in Jesus, if you've trusted Him for salvation, He's already dwelled in you. And because of that, you who have believed in Christ, you can forever rest in the shadow of the Almighty. The promise still stands that you are forever secure in Him. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 1, referring back to many Old Testament promises, Paul writes, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Paul says, in effect, all promises are fulfilled through Jesus Christ. So that we can claim them through Jesus Christ and such that through Jesus Christ, this great promise of protection given in Psalm 91 can be ours. Now, if you want to know why I'm already starting to delve into a difference between a new covenant and an old covenant, here's why. Because as we walk through these next ten verses, as the author starts to illustrate protection, you're going to find some things, you're going to read some things and go, wait a second, I'm protected from disease? You don't know what I've been through. So let's handle that. Verse 3. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, and from the deadly pestilence or disease. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Friends, what the author is trying to give you is these illustration of protection so that you would understand that you will be delivered from the hand of the evil one, And he gives you more pictures of refuge. In this case, it's as if a large bird were to cover you with its wings. Hence, an eagle's wings. And to remind you that his faithfulness is a shield and a buckler, they will be your protection. That promise stands. Verse 5, You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, 
nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. He's illustrating our protection that we need not fear. And yet again, some of you reading this, some of you with some real world experience have got to start asking some questions, right? Are we protected from arrows? Or bullets? Are we protected from diseases? Are we protected from falling in war? Because at least on first glance, that seems to be what the psalm is saying, correct? And yet what I want to put before you this morning is what the psalmist is doing is he's illustrating protection in the world that he lived in. Which is to say that the psalmist walked in a, in a physical world, much like we do, but in an old covenant sense, where much like when we walk through the book of Joshua, there was very much a physical battle for them to participate in. The protection also was physical. Which is to submit to you that there's something far greater for us in the New Testament than merely physical protection. Though I absolutely believe that God will physically protect His people. But to a far greater degree, He protects us spiritually. Let me illustrate this with it for us using the next section of Psalm 91. Because you've made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge... No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. On their heads they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent will trample underfoot. Do you know that verses 11 and 12 are quoted in the New Testament? And do you know who is using them? Do you know who brings this to bear quite literally in the New Testament? Satan. Satan shows up to Jesus in Matthew 4 after Jesus has been led into the wilderness, after he's fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights, and the text says that the tempter comes up to him. A couple of verses later, it identifies as the devil. And he tempts Jesus to count on the physical deliverance promised in this text. Hey man, trust the Lord. You won't stumble. Trust the Lord. The angels will protect you. What we see is Jesus dismissing Satan. Using the words of God, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Friends, in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, we're not promised this kind of physical protection. We need to be honest about that. Though again, sometimes it will come. I want you to consider for just a moment the words of Jesus in Matthew 10. What you find in Matthew 10 is Jesus taking his 12 disciples, by the way, the guys who carried out the mission, he pulls aside the 12 and begins to train them up. Guys, I want you to get ready. I need you to take this message to the world. And what we find in Matthew 10 as he's training up his disciples, listen to what he says, verse 16. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Does that sound safe? 
So be wise as serpents and innocence of doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Is Jesus promising these guys physical protection? Absolutely not. In fact, he's telling them the reality that they would be abused for their faith. And make no mistake about it, across the world this is happening. It just doesn't happen in our context. Keep watching verse 23. When they persecute you in one town, that is, they beat you, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Again, no promise of physical protection. Listen to his final instruction to them. Verse 26 and following. So have no fear of them. It's actually similar to the same promises that you find throughout Psalm 91. Have no fear of them. That is, those that would harm you, those that would persecute you, the things of the world that will come to bear for the end of verse 26. Nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. God is sovereign over all things. Finally, in verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Hone in on that. Rather, fear him who could destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Are not one of them, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Friends, in Jesus' instructions to his disciples, he's telling them that the things of this world will kill your body, be it disease or otherwise. And what Jesus brings to this conversation is two promises that are huge. The first of which is that the world cannot kill your soul. We'll talk about that here in a minute. And that He, that is Jesus, will acknowledge you before your Father in heaven. Which is to say that Jesus acknowledges to these guys, they'll, they'll abuse your body, but they can't touch your soul. And he starts to illustrate this difference between a worldly reality that is far less important than a spiritual reality and most significantly on that day when you leave a worldly reality and enter a spiritual reality, that day that we will all stand before the great king of everything to testify to our life what happens in that moment is huge. Because if you've believed in Jesus Christ for salvation, on that day when you stand before the Lord in judgment, when God the Father, who is totally sovereign, who has all power, looks down upon you, 
He doesn't see your sin. No, He sees Jesus Christ. Your righteousness. Why? Because you were bought with a price. You now belong to Him and you're forever protected by Him. See, that's the promise that Jesus gives you. That He will acknowledge you before His Father. On Judgment Day, God's no, no, that one's mine. I bought that one. And yet there's also that reality that if you deny the Father, He will deny you. What we find is a spiritual protection that far surpasses any physical protection you could ever receive. It's far more. The psalmist continues in verse 14 by with the Lord making an oath that God will hold himself to his promise, verse 14. Because he holds fast to me in love, this is now God speaking, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and I will show him my salvation. Friends, Psalm 91 has for a long time been one of my most favorite psalms because it testifies to a God who watches over us. It testifies to a God who delivers us and a God who protects us, by the way, far more than we'll ever know. The scriptures testify that one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is restraining the evil one, which means as you walk through life, The Holy Spirit's going, no, Satan, leave this guy alone. When Satan's like, let me at him. You are protected far more than you'll ever known. And yet this psalm testifies to this physical protection. That is an Old Testament reality. Now, I could point you to literally thousands of missionary stories where, in fact, the Lord literally and physically delivered his people. I read story after story after story, and I so wanted to bring them to you and recount several of them. But here's the problem. If I give you a story where God delivers someone from a disease and then it doesn't happen to you, you get ruined. If I bring you a situation where somebody is in a dangerous, perilous situation, and yet God at the last moment intervenes and gives them an out, which by the way, historically, He's done a crazy number of times, and it doesn't happen for you, you're ruined. Where was God? Where was He on my day? Why was He there on that day? What, why, why wasn't He here on my day? What happens for us is we start to depend on God's provisions as His character rather than appreciating, as hard as this is going to sound, that He's absolutely sovereign over all things, all the time. And He's got a greater purpose. Missionary martyr Jim Elliott. Now it's worth pointing out I'm about to quote a guy who is martyred. Meaning... He was killed on the mission field in Ecuador in his journal in reference to God's promises in Psalm 91. This is what Jim Elliott writes. He says, 
We are indestructible until our work on earth is done. That's how he summarized the psalm. We're indestructible until our work on earth is done. What that tells you about Jim Elliot is he understood God's protection. That God will not let a thing happen to you so long as his plan is still at work in your life. And yet, there can be a time, there will be a time when God's work with you is done. And for his glory, he's going to take you out. Or he's going to allow it to happen. That's what happened to Jim. We have to appreciate that Jim was protected. That Jim Elliott was indeed indestructible until his work was finished. And even though he was martyred, that doesn't challenge God's protection. Now, I, I put all of that before you because I don't, I love Psalm 91. I love thinking about it. I love praying about it. But tomorrow when you stub your foot across a stone and go, wait a second, God, Psalm 91, God's going, I got better things for you than that. I've got better promises for you than just stones. I want to protect your soul and I want to somehow use your stub toe for my glory. The anchor that we find in this text, the great hope that we find in this text is that when the waves pick up, when your boat rocks, when life feels radically out of control, that we have a sovereign Lord over everything who is absolutely all-powerful and He is watching over you, protecting you, and providing for you. And this may very well involve your suffering. This may very well involve your suffering. So we're called to trust him. To trust in his sovereignty and to trust his word. Romans 8 helps us with that as we start to tie things up. Romans 8.18 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's a hard pill to swallow on a day of challenge. I consider the sufferings of this present world or this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That is to say that your suffering here, which will be great, which will be great, will be far surpassed by the glory that will be revealed when you reach eternity. God has something far better for us than the things of this earth. He has something far better for us than the best moment we'll have on this earth. He has something far better for us. So we need to trust that. And ten verses later, Paul writes, and you know the verse, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. First point. You were called according to his purpose. And if you're called according to his purpose, that means he can use you however he wants, which is terrifying, right? It means he could put you in all kinds of situations. It means he can cause you to suffer in all kinds of ways and yet still protect you perfectly. 
because he has something better for you than your physical protection. He can still protect you perfectly according to his purpose because we know that for those who love God, all things will work together for good. Somehow, some way, God can use our junk. God can use our mistakes. God can use our worst moments. God can use our worst conditions. God can use everything in us for his good. Be it deadly disease or striking your foot on a stone. God can use it somehow for his glory. Friends, as we consider Psalm 91, that is our hope. That we have a hope that far surpasses a security that's merely physical. We have a, a hope that it, we have a God, we have a Father in heaven who loves us, who watches over us, who provides for us, and has a protection for us that is eternal and spiritual and looks out for His glory more than our well-being. Such that he will cause us to suffer. He'll call us to carry all kinds of things. For his name's sake. And for his glory. Because we were called according to his purpose. Let me pray for us. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Father, we thank you that by believing in the name of your Son, by claiming salvation, that you dwell in us. And because you dwell in us, because you reside in us, you watch over us, you protect us. That we have Jesus who advocates on our behalf to the Father. We have the Spirit who groans on our behalf. We have a spirit that protects us from the evil one. And we have the sovereign almighty God watching over us. We abide in the shadow of the almighty. Father, you are our protection. We are anchored in you. We have a sure and steadfast hope. A hope that guarantees that we will walk through hardship in this earth. A hope that guarantees that the waves will pick up. That the boat will rock. And yet we have a hope that guarantees us that we're secure through that. We have a hope that guarantees that somehow you'll use it for your glory. We have a hope that guarantees that that beyond this life there's a glory that will be revealed to us that will far surpass everything we'll ever experience here that the calm will be the better for the storms that we endured. Father, thank you that you are sovereign over all things. Thank you that you are all-powerful. And Father, thank you for these promises riddled through the psalm that remind us of how much you love us and how you protect us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.